If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. Chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, we're going to begin at verse 20. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God, for being Lord, and just for allowing us to just breathe your air, Father God, and just to know you. Help us to know you and love you more, God, to know and love one another more. In Jesus' name, be with us and teach us. Amen. We're picking up in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 20. And we're going to continue where we was last week. Last week, we talked a little bit about faith. <clears throat> in the role that faith has to do in salvation. And what we spent most of the time establishing was that you cannot posit faith or say that you believe when you're disobeying. Because in the mind of God, to obey him is a form of trusting him. So if you live in disobedient, you're not trusting. Because faith produces righteousness and it's, and it's the outworking of that trust that we have with God. And so we're going to expand on that a little bit, but the question I'm going to try to answer today is what is the power of faith? Is there any real power when it comes to faith or belief? And we use those terms synonymously. And we're going to pick up here at a famous verse. And we're going to play with it a little bit and just warn it. One of our conclusions Gonna sound a little strange to quite a few people, and maybe some you never heard before. So bear with me. And I promise you, it'll help you a whole lot. But what is the power of faith? What power do we have when we have faith? Acts chapter, I mean Mark chapter eleven, verse twenty. Say in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember, said unto him, Master, behold. The fig tree which thou curses is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, And shall not doubt in his heart, But shall believe that those things which he saith Shall come to pass, He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, With things soever you desire, When you pray, believe that you receive them, And you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. This is a common scripture when it comes to faith. <clears throat> and the scene that is going on here was on the way into the city. Jesus went to this fig tree to look for fruit. It was starting to grow, starting to bud, but there was no fruit on it. And so Jesus cursed the fig tree, tell him, don't grow. Nobody shall eat from you all the days. And they kept on on their journey. Jesus didn't even stop. They didn't look. It just passing by. And now on their way back out of the city, the disciples paid attention to it. And they noticed, hey, man, that tree dead. And they were amazed that the very thing that Jesus said came to pass. And in this, Jesus taught them a lesson on faith. He said, whatever you ask. If you believe, you shall receive it whatsoever. And that's a pretty heavy statement to, to wrestle with. 
whatsoever you ask, if you believe, you shall receive it. And he's talking about a tree being withered. And he used that as a teaching point. And But the thing I want to pull out of this is a couple of points. The first one is the way we have been trained concerning this is out of this has grown a movement that has convinced us that having faith itself is the possession of a power. That if you cultivate this thing in yourself called faith, that you have this tremendous power that gives you the ability to pretty much create your own world. And it's even got to the point where there are pastors and teachers that are endorsing things that are completely anti-Christian. Like there was a, a moment a couple of years back when a lot of churches, the video in the book, y'all probably heard of The Secret. It was big in the church. And you had pastors passing this book out and encouraging their members to watch this film about The Secret because it's telling you the secret power that we have in faith. The Secret was blasphemy. And it was built on principles that were anti-God and anti-biblical. It was some new age Hindu practices and teachers that have been westernized, but they are incorporated into the church because there's this idea that if you got this thing called faith, this power, this force, the same thing that God had when he made the world, if you got that, then you have the ability to create your globe. I'm pretty sure y'all, if you scroll on the TV, old you... Well, y'all probably got, y'all rich people, so y'all let Justin take all your money. Y'all got that cave. But us folk that didn't have that cave, you got the PBS, and sometimes they had that special on it. Any of y'all ever seen the, the man on the little bald head, man, the power of positive thinking? And when you hear him, he automatically suck you in. You don't watch PBS no other time, but you you pause and listen to what that dude got to say. Because he tells beautiful stories, and, he, and and it sounds great. And he got this power of positive thinking where you think positively and, and you hope and you wish and you can create your own world. And he tell you story about how his daughter needed things in college and he taught her and told her and everything she needed came to pass. And then you hear that and you, then you flip from PBS because you don't go with two more stations for us that ain't got all that rich cable. Then you read that TBN and the man on the TBN and the man on the PBS saying the exact same thing. So it sounds like it's some biblical truth to this stuff. That with faith, we can create our own world. With faith, we have the ability to just make life what we want it to be. And then we see examples of this stuff. Because the man and the, and the lady on the TBN tell you that they were broke and on drugs and had all this stuff going on in their life. And now they're flying around in private jets and driving bitlings. And what did they do? We just believe. We believe God. And the amazing thing to me is we believe that stuff. And you got people walk around here laying hands at the BMW lot. Trespassing on the full property all time of night. <laughs> walk around the car seven times. In the name of Jesus, they're going to be mine. Once I make the seventh time, I'm going to sing my praises and then the car going to show up. People do this type stuff. Got people pulling out their wallet, talking to it. You big fat wallet full of money. You broke, man. Hold <laughs> your bills behind. <laughs> but you, you talking to your wallet because some preacher told you that if you say this positive confession, if, and if you hold on to these things, if you call those things that be not as though they were, you're going to create this magical realm and your whole life going to transform. 
And I've been in church for a good little bit, not a very long time. But one amazing thing I noticed. The broke people still broke. And the rich people keep getting richer. While you got the lady forking over her um, first fruits in a couple more weeks. Going to have some old lady forking over her first fruits in the name of Jesus. She's still going to be down there on the mats while her bishop going to be driving a Mercedes. Because her first fruits is making him rich. And then all she got a testimony was, my lights were supposed to get cut off, but they extended me to the end of the month. And they, woo, that's the power of the first fruits. No. That's robbery. But what has happened is that allow us to be stuck in this rut is we, we reread scripture like that. Because that is what it say, right? That you can have whatsoever you shall say. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast in the sea, you shall have it. But the amazing part that we always miss is what precedes that. Jesus opened up the statement to respond to the, the bewilderment of his disciples and said what? Have faith in God. That's the point of it. Have faith in God. So that's why he turns from whatsoever you ask. Just Jesus, when he went by, he made the statement. Go back up. I just want you to see this. In verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. That's all Jesus says. No man eat fruit on thee hereafter forever. Now, does that sound like a prayer? <laughs> no. It don't even sound like one. He didn't, he didn't order Jesus in your name, please, God. I was hungry and I thought there was going to be some fruit on this, but since the tree wouldn't give me no fruit, would you please make the tree not grow no more? He made a command. But in his explanation to the disciples, he said, whatsoever you ask. So he equates making a command out of faith in God with asking and praying. But the ideology I want you to understand was that the center of his thought was his faith in God. He understood something about God and his relationship to God that gave him the right to live and act in a certain way. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It was not his faith in faith. It was not his faith in the ability of this creative force to do something. It was his faith in God that gave him an understanding that his right as a child of God gave him a power and the ability to do certain things. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And he equated his expression of his understanding of his identity with prayer and faith. So the prayer that we pray doesn't always have to say in Jesus name. But it flows from an understanding of who God is and what it is that God has given us. That's why they say have faith in God. Now, the amazing thing is, how do you have faith in a person? How do you express faith in a person? In the root of how you express faith in a person is through what we hit on last week. The full expression of faith in a person is trust. It's reliance, dependence. That's how you express faith in a person. Now, can you do that on your own? What I mean by that, go to Romans chapter, I think it's four, I won't. I wasn't supposed to use this verse, but I got to. 
Uh, Romans chapter 4. We'll start at verse 16. Romans 4, 16 said, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to, the, to all the seed, and not to that only which is of the law, but to that seed also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called it those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believe in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now in this passage, it's talking about the faith of Abraham. Like I said, it's another one of the famous passages that people use to take your money at church. Because what he, what's normally quoted, and when we hear this quoted is, that we have the ability to call those things that be not as though they were. Anybody ever heard that before? That's what, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm saying if you decree a thing, it shall be established. It's called those things that be not as though they were. But if we pay attention to this, really it's teaching us some good stuff. It's talking about Abraham. And it said he believed in God. Then it gives a quote of what God promised him. Then the quote, then the response is he believed in God who can call those things that be not as though they were. So the picture is the twofold way that we believe in somebody. And unless you have both of these things, you do not have faith. What you have is foolishness. That he went back to a promise of God. God told him, you shall be the father of many nations. That was his hope. The word of God, the promise that God gave him. If what you believe, if what you stand on, if what you're hoping in, if what you're trusting in, does not come as a promise for the person, you do not have faith in that person. You just made some up in your head. It's just like if I believe that Apostle Jay going to make me rich. It's like, man, if I stay with him and I be with him, I'm going to be a millionaire. He's going to make me a millionaire. And he's going to provide for all my needs. Then you ask me, Jay told you that? I believe it. <laughs> See, y'all lying, because that's foolishness. How I'm going to tell this man that he's going to make me rich. And no matter how hard I believe it, that does not make it true. And that does not give me any right to put that on him. What if he could? Does that even give me the right to say he will? No. Only thing I have faith in is my foolishness. The only way I can trust him for that is if he gives me that promise. And it works the same with God. You cannot put your faith in God for something that God didn't tell you he was going to do. If you trust in it, if you hope in it, if you really believe in it, I mean, it's not something that God told you, if it's not something that he expressed, it's not something that he has promised, you're not believing in God. You're believing in yourself and what you made up. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's what we have the picture of in Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God. Up until that point, Abraham could have wanted as many children as he desired and had no reason to believe that he was going to get them. Because God ain't never tell him that. But once God spoke and put his name on it, now Abraham has something to hold to. And now we can look at Abraham's reliance and resilience as faith because it's attached to a promise. And not only was it attached to a promise, it was attached to a person, the character of the person. Because Abraham believed God according to his promise who can. So God has the ability to do that which cannot be done 
And since he made me a promise, that's the reason I have more and more reason to believe. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's the only way that we can have faith in a person. So when we walking out and stepping out on faith and we believing, if we're not attaching our works, if we're not attaching our hope to a promise of God and the person of God, you're stepping out on foolishness. Are y'all with me? Because there is no magical thing called faith that has its own innate properties and power and it, it got this spiritual materialism to it and it's a force that you can just use and you pull down faith and you can change the heavens. That's a lie. The faith, the power of faith is the power of the one in whom you put your faith into. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? If we were to go play basketball and you blew under the chip and you had your faith in me, you will lose. <laughs> I'll just tell you right now. Unless we're playing against some people who can't play. Now, if they saw it, we're going to dominate. But if we play against anybody halfway in shape and that can hoop a little bit, we're going to lose. Because my skills are limited. And my win is even more limited. <laughs> so we got to run and do anything. Don't put your faith in me. Because I don't have the ability to pull off the thing that you're hoping for. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we step out on faith, we have to put our faith in God, not in faith. So if God told you that you can walk around your mailbox seven times and a check going to be enough, do it. But if the preacher told you that you can walk around your mailbox seven times and a check going to be enough, you're a fool. No matter how hard you convince yourself that it is true. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Faith is not his own force. Faith is not his separate power. It's not something that God possesses. Because we know by faith God made the worlds. That's a lie. Faith is trust. Faith is dependence. And the power of faith is the person in whom you put your faith. Are y'all with me? Let's take a little journey. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Actually, we might back up and read a little bit. Second Chronicles, I said 16, but let's go to, let's try 14. Yeah, we're going to read a little bit just to paint the full picture. Now, in this Second Chronicles, we, we picking up on the reign of this dude named Asa. He was a couple of steps removed from David. So David had Solomon. Solomon took over the throne. Solomon let the women run him crazy. So God punished him and he set up his son Rehoboam after him. But he took half of the over half of the kingdom from his family. Now Rehoboam then died and Abijah, the son of Rehoboam, took up. He wasn't that good. He, he had a very short reign and now his son Asa took over. So we got a couple of steps away from David and this dude Asa is taking over the throne. And what has been going on, to give you the full picture, is during the reign of Rehoboam and through most of the, well, really all of the reign of Abijah, there has been fused between the southern kingdom, what we call Judah, and the northern kingdom, which is referred to as Jerusalem. They've been fighting back and forth. This dude Jeroboam, basically once he came, he took over and he reformed everything. 
He took over the north. He separated them from Judah completely. He set up this false worship system just to completely keep them from ever having to go back to Jerusalem. And so there's been this feud going on back and forth all throughout this reign. And what we pick up is towards the end of the feud a little bit. And we got a time of rest. Let's read in verse, chapter 14. So Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. And in his days, the land was quiet 10 years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars and the strange gods and his high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. And he took away all of the cities of Judah and the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. That seemed like a, a good little thing going on. So Asa came and he got things right. So all them false gods and things that Solomon started setting up and that is father Rehobium, granddad of Rehobium was setting up. He started taking away all that stuff. And it, and it, it gives a pretty good picture of this dude. Dude seem alright. Let's keep going. So and he built fifth cities in Judah for the land had rest and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about the walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000 out of Benjamin that had bear shields and drew bows, 204 score thousand. And all of these were mighty men of valor. So he had a pretty big army, everything going good. So we got over 500,000 men in this army. They're strong, courageous men. And they're at peace. They're not fighting anybody. He's just building. Y'all got the picture. Let's keep tracking. And there came out against him Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand thousands and three hundred chariots came unto Marisha. Now hold up. So this dude out of Ethiopia came up. Named Zerah. King. And he done rose. And how many armies did he say he had? A thousand thousands. That's a thousand times a thousand. How many is that? A million. Now we thought Asa was doing good. <laughs> Asa had 580,000. This dude came up out of Ethiopia with a million soldiers. Asa, Asa couldn't touch that. So he done doubled the size of Asa's army. And he done marched all the way from Ethiopia. So they mad. If I was a soldier and I came all the way from Ethiopia just to fight, I'd be mad too. <laughs> So then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord, thou art God. Let no man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gera, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves, but they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host, and they carried away much spoil. And they smote all the cities round about Gera, for fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities, for there is exceeding much spoil in them. And they smote also the tents of cattle, and carried away sheep and camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. So that's amazing. 500,000 men destroyed a million men, sent the Ethiopians running back to Ethiopia. And on their journey, they chased them 
and was just conquering cities on the way. This was amazing. But did you notice the turn of the story? They set the battle in array and Asa did what? He prayed. And in his prayer, he made this great and grand statement. It's like, God, I know for you is not a major thing to save, whether with many or with a few. So help us because in you we rest. And that's the key. He said, in you we rest. And basically what that means, we put all our hope, we put all our safety, we depending on you. That's what Asa's response. So this dude defeated an army twice his size with more weaponry from a kingdom far larger than him. At this time, this about 8th century BC, the Ethiopian kingdom went all the way up to what we know now to be Somalia and Sudan. It spread, it spread it all across there up into that upper region, almost into Egypt. They were a large kingdom. Judah was a small kingdom. Not bigger than this little state we call Alabama. Really, they probably the size of one of our counties when you're just looking at land mass. They were small. And they went up against this giant and defeated them, made them flee and conquered them. And all Asa did was when the battle came and say he put the battle in array. He wasn't scared. He stepped out there, but in the middle of him stepping up out there, he was praying. So he was a little bit scared. <laughs> But <laughs> brother stepped out. But the key is that in thee do we rest. So his hope was in God. And now the other thing, just paint the full picture. Now we read all that background about Asa. How many times did he fight before then? None. Dude was king for 10 years and never had a battle. All he was doing was building up stuff. He was a city developer. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, I ain't know nothing about fighting. But when the war came to him, he stepped out and he showed us where his heart was. He said, in thee do we rest. So that means his faith had a lot of power. But then you notice what it said. Who, who beat the Ethiopians? Verse 12. Said the Lord smote the Ethiopians. So he had faith and God responded and did something on his behalf. That's deep. So it wasn't just him believing that made the Ethiopians run. It wasn't just him just having his hope and, and this force called faith came and made a whole bunch of stuff happen. No, God responded to him trusting in him. So he put the Ethiopians to flight. Now let's flip. We're going to skip a little bit. In 15, a lot of things take place. Asa, he gets stuff going on. He commanded people to seek the Lord. He started tearing down groves. His brother even fired his mama. Because his mama set up a, a, a false idol. He kicked her off, told her you ain't, you ain't no queen or nothing. Kicked out the throne, tore down her altar and burned it. So brother was on, 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 a, on a path. This brother was fired up for the Lord. He sent out decrees and command everybody going to worship Yahweh. So this, he, he, was, he was changing things. That's what was going on in, in 15. And he get peace in the land again at the end of 15. There's no more war. Now we'll pick it up in 16. Say in the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might like let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So on the border, this dude named Basha, king of the northern kingdom, he started to fence them in, saying he wanted to make Israel great again. So he built the fence to block 
the people in Judah from being able to go back and forth. He was blocking them in. Said so then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord of the king's house and sent unto Benadad, king of Syria, that dwelt in Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Benadad hearkened unto king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan and Abelmam and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass that when Basha heard it, that he left off building Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Basha was building. And he built therewith in Gibba and Mizpah. So he then sent to this dude Syria. Like, hey, dude, we, we, we got an agreement going on. It's been going on for a long time. I don't need you to be banging with them Israelites. I need you on our team. Y'all see the response. So he called for some help this time. Verse 7. So at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them out of thine hand. So he shows the, the, the contrast. He fought a super huge army and prayed to God. A smaller army, his neighbors that they've been feuding with and fighting with for years. And he runs to the king of Syria. Now God's response is, You're not going to defeat them. Because you didn't rely on the Lord. You relied on the king of Syria. So what we get from this is God took an affront to that. That you went to somebody else. That sounds like good politics. It sounds like he was a statesman. He went to a bigger kingdom with a bigger army than his. They on the north. We on the south. So if y'all come down and we come up, we can defeat this army. That sounds like good politics, man. Hey, let's do it. We together. But God was upset with him. And and the reason was is because you did not rely on me. You relied on the king of Syria, which shows us an understanding what God thinks about us and our faith. Is that our dependency, when it comes to times of crisis, when it comes to hope, when it comes to what we do, how we express ourselves, how we live out our life, is a big deal to God. He's just doing his job. He's doing what any good statesman would have done. The good war strategy, good politics. Like I said, because Judah was in the south. Then you got Israel. And on the top of that, that's where you have Syria. Hey, we got them boxed in. They can't fight both of us. And y'all bigger than both of us. So if y'all can help us, we, that sounds like good statesmanship. But God took an affront to it because true faith is reliance. What is it that you depend on? And these are questions that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to the way that we live our lives. When it comes to our relationships, when we married and all these things. What is it that we get our understanding of what this picture of marriage is supposed to look like? Do we depend on how we were brought up? Do we depend on the norm of the culture and the society to give us a picture? Or do we get a picture from the word of God and trust that God can make that real in our lives? I remember when I was about to get married. That was this amazing thing I noticed about church folk. And the common belief was that marriage is supposed to be a fight 
and you're supposed to spend 90% of your time just compromising and not being happy, then you got them speckles of a moment where y'all really enjoy one another. That's the picture that I got. Every time I go around, like, man, man, you finna get married? Yes, sir, I'm about to get married. Oh, man, I hope you're ready, boy. I hope you... They're like, God, leave, always. <laughs> and then they always, cause they're Christian, they always in. But it's a blessing. <laughs> did I miss something it's amazing that that's the common thing to the point where you got pastors and preachers that tell you man my my hardest relationship is my marriage that's my biggest growing pain like where where do you get that from like why why do where, where do we get this understanding from it don't come from the bible it comes from culture and we have absorbed culture and it has created a mindset or I want to be deep, a worldview for us to view marriage. And so we have this picture of marriage that is just this, this hard, this fighting, and we just going to always be mad except for that little 10% of the time where we enjoy one another. But that ain't going to last because it's only a speckle of the time. Like at moments, at anniversaries, it's going to be good for like four hours. Then on the drive back, we're going to be fussing by something. <laughs> and that's just the picture we got. And we accept that, that that's the way it's supposed to be. And we perpetuate that thing. So now next time somebody else get married, you're like, yeah, bro, that's good, man. That good boy. I hope you're ready. <laughs> and it goes on and on because that's how we get this mindset from. But my question is, who are we relying on? Do we rely on our cultural acceptance and our ability to create this beautiful, blissful thing that will never be beautiful or blissful? We just got to deal with it? Or do we trust that God has the ability to make two people one? And he can give us a heart to why I delight in my spouse, to why I can read them Proverbs, and that stuff sounds good. Like I said, be satisfied with her all the days of your youth. That's, that sounds fun. That, that, that sounds fun. That don't sound like what the men were telling me. I was like, why I can't have this, brother? <laughs> why, can't, why, why I can't delight? You know what I'm why, why I can't have that? Why I can't let her breast satisfy me? That, that, was, that was the proverb Solomon told me to do. You tell me, boy, you better get ready. You don't understand. It's already going to be. It's a blessing, though. But this is how we live our lives and we rely upon the things that the culture has given us. And what my desire is, is to push us beyond the culture, to push us beyond the norms, to push us beyond what we have accepted as being reality in a trust and depend upon God. That we rely on him. That when we get in pinches, when we get in hard times, when we get in bad times, let's not let what the world has taught us to be our first response. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when I open up that dishwasher and it's got that water that's still in there from last night and it's stinking, because it's been sitting up all night and I'm like, man, this thing don't work. I turn it on and just, don't nothing happen. And I'm like, golly, man, we broke. I need a new dishwasher. Let me call coins or cons. <laughs> and now I'm going to be in debt. Because they're going to sell me. Like, man, hey, man, if you really want to get a deal, you don't get to get the dishwasher. You get the stove, too. But ain't no wrong with my stove, bro. I just need the little thing right here. <laughs> and now I'm locked in for two, three years. That's on a little bit of dishwasher. Because I didn't believe that it was possible for me to do something the way God told me to do. 
How God told me to do it. God told me if I want something, to go buy. That don't become a slave because the borrower is slave to the lender. And that shouldn't be no man's slave. But because I don't think that it's possible because the world has created a system for me, for me to depend on and for me to rely in, I don't trust that. We turn just like Asa. He turned. He went from running out that gung ho to depending on the politics that he learned because now he's a school and an aged king and master. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And so God has some problems with that. But watch, let's get back to my main point. In the rebuke, in verse 9, said 4, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. So the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for somebody to show himself on strong on behalf. And it's it's a strange statement that they're not supposed to be in the Bible. Said to those whose hearts is perfect towards him. So we're looking for somebody whose heart is perfect towards him. And what that literally means in that statement or what it could be translated as is somebody whose heart is totally his. They rely on him. And if you go back to read this account in 1 Kings, it gives this description of Asa. That Asa set his heart to seek the Lord and his heart was perfect towards the Lord your God. That was the description of Asa given in 1 Kings. So how did this brother come from being perfect towards the heart, will have a perfect heart towards God, to being a person that God is now rebuking and shunning? It's because he changed who he depended on. Brother God, he elevated. He came up in the world. He got somewhere. And that created a level of comfort to where he knew how to do things now. And I caution us that we don't do the same thing in our lives. Because like I said, I've been there. And I ain't took but like three steps from there. That was a point in time, brother, I prayed like a mug. All the time. Now why were you praying all the time? Because I only have a two dollar and I need some gas. <laughs> Trying to get there, boys. <laughs> brother trying to get there. Like, man, y'all laugh, I'm serious. Like, man, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, y'all shame on shit, get the hell up. Take me, Lord Jesus, take me. I can't stop my shield. They're too expensive. I ain't got my two dollars. And praying like a mug. And we'd all have been there. Well, things were hard, things bad. I'm talking about, bro, you, you fast and you praying, you hungry and you wasting away. Because you, you don't have no other hope. You have nothing else. But then life turns and things get a little bit good. And them prayers diminish. When just a little bit ago, you, you didn't think you were going to have a place to live. You were praying every day, boom, slamming the doja. <laughs> I'm like crying all the way home in Jesus' name. I praise you, Jesus. You are good. <laughs> Mercy and do it. I'm like getting it in, boy. You could, you couldn't do nothing without praying. Folks think you crazy. Cause you go on your lunch break and you just sitting up praying. You ain't eating nothing. They don't know you hungry. And you ain't got to put them two little dollars to make it all. <laughs> they think you just deep. 
Anybody else have been there? I'm, I'm the only one that was by myself. Okay, all right. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> that made me feel like a fool, but I've been there. Praying like a mother. Then now you got five dollars, then you don't need to pray. But we get there and we begin to rely because we understand how the system works now. And we know how life works and we, and we got some things figured out. So that same tenacity that we used to use when we didn't have anything else, we don't need that anymore. And that's why we don't see what we're supposed to see when it comes to God because our hearts are not perfect towards him. We're not completely relying upon him. It's not wholly given to him because we don't have to. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so let us not be like Asa who turned from seeking God. This brother in the midst of going to the battle took a pause to pray. God, we rely on you. We rest in you. You save us. To now before the battle even started, hey man, send some money up there to, uh, to the Syrians. Because the brother got it good. And watch this. To show you the turning of his heart. In verse 10, this is a brother who sought the Lord, who fired his own mama, who cut down the groves. Watch what he do now the prophet tell him. So then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house for he was enraged with him because of this thing and Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. That don't seem like the response of the man that we were just reading about. Seeking the Lord, tearing down the groves, building up the idols. It's because his heart has turned and he's no longer truly relying on God. He has his system and that system was attacked, was created in him some angst. Please let not our heart be that way. Please don't let us get to the place where we're complacent in our lives because things starting to get better. And when people begin to rebuke us or scold us and call us back to this whole hard desperation to God, we shun them people because our heart ain't there no more. We don't take all that. It did a couple months ago. Why quit? Why stop? Why turn? You were seeing all type of answers to prayer. You had all type of testimony because you weren't doing nothing but praying. Now you ain't got none. Because you ain't doing nothing but relying upon the goodness that God has given you way back in yesteryear. So let our heart turn and let our hearts not be cold. And the same thing works when it comes to our salvation. Because if we look at our lives and we see the tenacity that we go after God for when you first get that thing. Somebody, you can't stand nothing that don't look like Jesus. Boy, you're burning everything down. Same with that. <laughs> you don't know me because I'm a Christian, dog. No? So you need to get some of the Bible. <laughs> That's how we started off. I'm talking about you shut it all down. Brother won't come to you rapping the same song you put him on. The man don't listen to that stuff, man. Y'all need to get off that. I was saying around here listening to all that devil music. I'm about to do that, man. Put Fred Hammond on that thing. <laughs> y'all, need, y'all need to get some of that passion worship. Man, you, man we thought, well, there's no good talk music. <laughs> but you be on that. Then you get a little settled a little bit and thing, a lot a little bit, and now you, you, you just cool now. It don't take all that. And you was, seek and you desire to maintain that same level of sanctity that same level of holiness that same level of fervency that same level of devotion to God without putting up that same level of trust and reliance on him because I'm now now I got it I'm saved I'm going to heaven so now I'm good 
I don't need all that. That's a lie. Our hearts should be wholly devoted to him. Because we need God. And I told you, what is the power of faith? It's God. The eyes of the Lord is going to and fro throughout all the earth looking somebody for somebody to show out for. God want to show out. God want to demonstrate the fact that he is God and he's just looking for some folks that are ready to trust him. He said he's looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards him. So we want to see a manifestation of the God in our lives. We need to have a manifestation of faith in our heart. And that faith is reliance, depending on him. We need to know that we can't do this thing without him. Ain't nobody great. I'm just a lowly old man needing and depending on this God. And the amazing thing is God, he said he's looking. He gives a picture of God roaming around trying to find somebody to show himself to. Roaming around trying to give power to demonstrate to. He's looking for somebody with just 500, 500 so they can beat a million. That, that's what he's looking for. But we think that we're good and we don't need all that. And we learn, we got to this place and this level and we, we give up. And we got our weaknesses that we call, quote unquote, our struggles. And we depend on them. And that's calm because everybody got their struggles. So now we don't fight no more. Now we don't pray no more. Now we don't seek God to change those things no more. And now we don't need him to deliver us from this stuff no more. Because this is just part of who I am. Because things are good. But what when you were broke? Back when you didn't have anything. Back when that man was beating you and, and, and mistreating you. And you wanted to get out of that relationship. You were praying, 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 praying. God, please. God, help me. God, I need you. Jesus, I don't want to be this way no more. But now that you're just sleeping up a little bit, got a little lust in your heart and all that stuff, you ain't got them saying prayer no more because that's common. You know I'm saying you're just a regular man. Just like Asa with being a regular king. Are y'all with me? And the reason I bring up this is go to the book of Ephesians. Watch this. And we're going we're gonna to land this bird. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse, we'll start at verse 6. It's talking about God. In verse 6 it says, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God had this plan. And what he wanted to do was to show the greatness of the riches of his grace. So God had some stuff he wanted to show out. He wanted to show how great he was. He wanted to manifest his power. He wanted to manifest his kindness. So what he decided to do was get a whole bunch of people like us who couldn't do nothing on our own, who had no ability in of ourselves. And he said, he raised us up to seated us together with Christ Jesus. Then he said, for by grace you are saved through faith. And the thing I want to zone in on that, notice what saves you. It's the grace, not the faith. You're not saved by faith. You're not saved by simply believing. But simply believing connects you to something that is the power of salvation. That is the grace of God. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we think in our minds about our redemption, when we think in our minds about our hope, we must go beyond the fact that I made a confession and that means I believe. That's a lie. We must go beyond the fact that, yeah, I'm saying I'm Christian. I believe in God. That's a lie. 
Because being able to make that statement, being able to say within yourself, I believe, is not the same thing as being saved. But trusting and relying on God to fulfill and demonstrate his grace to you is what saves you. It's the grace of God working in you that saves you, not a confession or a formulation of a prayer. So you can say that prayer as many times as you want to. You can walk in the streets with them people and you can repeat after that preacher. You can do all that stuff. You can go up and get dunked in that pool. It does not mean a thing because faith doesn't save. God does. Responses doesn't save. God does. And it is the eyes of the Lord that is going to and fro and he's looking for somebody to demonstrate himself strong on. And what he want to demonstrate is the greatness of his power. And that power is manifested in your life and all you have to do is believe him. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So no longer do I have to sit and say that I'm a, something that I'm not. I don't got to be like them church folks and call those things that be not that though they were. What is that? See what I'm saying? I'm saved. I'm righteous. I'm filled. I'm sanctified. But I'm angry. I'm lustful. And I'm stingy. <laughs> Hold on, brother. You can't be all the things at the same time. But I get stuck with them because this is just my heritage. This is just my background. This is my ethnicity. That sometimes I blow my top a little bit. That's a lie. You got a new ethnicity. And it's in Emmanuel. The savior of your soul. That's all your heritage that you got. And you need to redefine your heritage by your understanding and your connection to him. If you can't explain or express your culture. If you can't explain or express yourself, your emotions and all that through the filter of Jesus. You you need to have that. If it disconnects with Jesus, it should disconnect from you. But I want you to understand that the thing that I stand on is not the fact that I'm believing. That my hope does not rely in me believing. My hope does not stand in my confessions of faith. My hope does not stand in my agreement with some creeds and, and other things. My hope stands in God because it is the grace of God that saves us, not faith. So if all you got to rely on to show that you are a Christian is that I said some stuff and I show you I believe, you don't have anything. But if you don't have the grace of God manifesting himself, the power of God, the one that's going through the earth looking for somebody to demonstrate himself on, if you can't point to that power, that manifestation of the holiness of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God, the, the transcendentness of God just being displayed through you, you ain't got no hope of faith. Because faith, you rely. And when you rely, you depend. And if you depend on God, he's going to show you some amazing and great thing. And that's where we need to begin. Are y'all, are, are you with me? So please let, let, let us not let our culture rob us of our faith. How do they try to rob us? Because it's amazing. Especially, I see people believe, literally, like I said, all them examples of real life. They believe some crazy and amazing things. I see people step over an imaginary line at church and they believe that that's going to cancel all their debts. That's amazing. People turn around and think their whole house finna transform just like that. That's amazing. I've seen people unload their wallets in their pocketbooks and lay it down on some stairs on the carpet of the church and think that that's going to make them successful business people. It's amazing the amount of things we have the ability to believe in. It's incredible. But then when you talk to these same people and say, hey man, 
You don't got to be angry with your wife. God can deliver you from that. Well, brother, we all got our struggles. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nobody ever going to be perfect. So you can believe that Jesus can make you step over an imaginary line and that's going to cancel $200,000 of student loan. But he told you that he can make you a new creature, but he can't do that. That's deep. I can sit on a chair and have a man lay his head on me and that's going to give me some super anointing where I can raise the dead. But I can't be at home with my children and lay hands on them and pray for them and just be the same consistent person all the time around my house because that is impossible. God can't do that. And that's how these people rob us of our faith. That we can get excited about stuff that the Bible don't even say and believe it. But then the stuff that it did promise us cannot happen and it will not happen because we just regular old human beings and um, God is working on us. Hold up. And that shows you where our faith is. It's in this tradition that we call church and not in the God that has created us and sustains us and let us hold fast our hope and our reliance on God. That's real faith. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? With the story with the story of Asa and how he went from I guess total reliance on God to then trying to form alliances and connecting with people to accomplish something. How would you bring balance to like the story of uh, Esther or Nehemiah who the means by which God provided in that person's life was through a king or was through someone who could change their circumstances or provide the investment or the materials to then go do what God had placed in their heart? That's a very good question. And I think the separation becomes to the initial response in the situation of Esther. Her actions or activity came out of the preference of Mordecai and then her own preference. Mordecai had some wisdom and his connection was whole, the whole reliance that he had was that God was going to do something. And maybe this is the means that God going to use to do it. And once she finally got up the, the nerves, she stepped back. Called a fast throughout the city, throughout all the, the regions that the Jews were at. So the whole response independence was not on the king. Because even Mordecai said, hey, if God don't do it through you, he's going to do it some, some other way. Because God going to save his people. And it just might be that you were sent here for such a time as this. So the, the dependence of Mordecai in the whole situation on we don't need this king, we don't need you. So the whole heart disposition was different, if you understand what I'm saying. So it's not just the use of the means, it is the heart that motivated. And that's why God scolded him, say, because you relied on. So this is what your hope was in. And if we would have read to the end of the story, God sums Asa life up with one that Apostle Jay liked to read quite often. Is that after this, Asa got sick in his feet. He was sick for like two and a half, three years. I can't recall the exact number. And it said Asa relied on the physicians instead of on the Lord. So he had the sickness eating away at his feet to the point where he ended up dying from it. And it, the summation of that whole part of his life was that he didn't even seek the Lord. He sought to the physician. So that's what his hope was in. That's what his reliance was upon. And that was the summation of the transformation of Asa's life. You get what I'm saying? So God can use whatever means he wants to, but it's what I hope in, what we depend on, 
that 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 makes the difference. Okay, the things that I'm not seeing are faith, and the things that I'm seeing are sights. I guess my understanding. How can we activate those faith, and um, are those activated by God, or are we how we activate those? If you can explain that to me, please. Okay. So the way that we activate faith, the Bible in Romans 10 said faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the thing that we get faith from is through the word of God. It builds our faith. And even in that Ephesians chapter 2, when it talks about we're saved by grace through faith and it is the gift of God, not of ourselves. So this whole package of salvation is a gift from God. First Corinthians, I think is 12, talks about the fruit, I mean the gifts of the spirit. And one of those gifts is faith. So these are things that we get from God. And so the closer we get to him, the more we rely on him and we grow in that relationship to him, the more our faith expands. If you understand what I'm saying. So you activate, activate that faith by hearing, hearing the promises of God and learning about the character of God. That's the only way you can believe in somebody by what they say and who they are. So the more you learn about him and the more you learn of his promises, the more you can trust him. But that's the foundation of it is just getting in and learning him. But even one of the famous ones, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall make your path straight. I direct your path. That phrase, in all your ways acknowledge him, could literally be translated, in all your ways know him. I make him known. That's the same word, to know God. So if you're knowing him in all your ways, you're conscious of God in everything that you do. you got the knowledge of God feeding you throughout all your activities that builds the faith so all you need to do is pursue God seek God and allow him to build that faith in you it ain't something that you just create so um based on the examples you were given earlier I guess it's, it's okay to you know believe based on the general rather than you making I guess you come get into trouble when you're making your own de- details like for example like a job. God knows we need to work to be able to provide for ourselves or transportation, but it's when we as people make the details, that's when we're getting in trouble. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's when you put on God something that he himself didn't declare or give you hope for. God said he's going to provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. God said, like I said, you have not seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. So God going to provide, he's going to make means, he's going to make a way. And God has the freedom to do it however he wants to do it. And what we get in trouble as is we take general, like you said, general promises of God and we strict and confine God and even deeper go into means that God didn't promise. Because God said he's going to provide for me. But my belief is that I'm going to sit at home and play Call of Duty all day and I'm going to be rich. Like, I'm going to get a job. I'm believing the Lord for a job. Like, I ain't putting no applications. I ain't did none of that. <laughs> but I'm believing the Lord. I'm telling you, Lord, going to bless me right now. I'm saying, I'm praying right now. In the name of Jesus, God, don't get. It's when we, like I said, you create for yourself the whole idea, the whole scenario. Same thing like with Sarah and Abraham. God gave them a promise that he was going to give them a child. But Sarah created the means by which God's promises would be fulfilled. She wasn't relying on God. She had to figure out a way that God was going to do what he was going to do. 
And so she had to make God stuff happen. She had to fulfill the word of the promise herself. And so those are ways we get in trouble. And I always like to ask myself the question, okay, what does my dependency go back to? Like, why do I believe this? Why is it so strong in me that this is real and this is true? And if I can't point it back to who God is or what God said directly, then I know it's, I made some up. But um, would, but there are times where God himself will speak things that may seem crazy yeah. <laughs> and ask you to do them. Like, I remember times in like my previous church where God, where people were, they were asking people to sow money or whatever. But I heard God say, give this, you know, above it. There are, there are there times where though people may be saying something, um, but God may be even speaking to you through that. Yeah, that, 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 that happens. We see it even throughout the scripture with times where people speak, speaking of themselves. And they didn't know that they were speaking and declaring the word of the Lord. Like when the high priest was talking about it's good that one man should die and that many may live. He wasn't talking about Jesus being a sacrifice for all the earth, but God opened up his mouth and he spoke. Even like I said, with the story of Balaam, Balaam was trying to curse the people of God. Every time he opened up his mouth, he blessed them and he saw things that he wasn't supposed to be seeing concerning the Messiah and the salvation of all the world. So God has that ability to to step in and do some amazing things through some amazing people. But that, like I said, I always go back to where do my hope and my confidence rely on? Am, am I doing this out of the hype of the moment? Am I doing this because I truly trust and believe that this is what God has spoken to me? And we have that where God can speak to us individually and we have to stand on that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, God can do some crazy and amazing things. Like I said, God, sometimes God told the prophet to lay, walk through the streets, buck naked. I ain't saying I wouldn't have, I would have got fired from my job. <laughs> Hold on, God. <laughs> I'm saying he told the man to make dung cakes. Had a man lay in the street for seven days on one side. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so God would say some incredible, uh, outlandish things sometimes that seem quite crazy but long as you know where it come from that's why most time when people say God said I don't touch it I know God do say some amazing things whether I believe you or not I don't touch it hey God can speak I don't doubt it so we are Christians we believe in God but when we get sick or when we have like difficult in our life we go to someone else like a doctor or physician or anything, are we doing wrong to God? I'm going to let your daddy answer that one. <laughs> Ask your father at home. <laughs> but I would say, even in that, the heart still goes back to what do we rely on? And, and, <clears throat> and we have to liberate ourselves from detaching God from certain areas of our lives, if you understand what I'm saying. Because we got these certain pet things in our society that God don't have nothing to do with. Mental health, physical health, God is like the, 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 he has the end of physical health. He don't have nothing at all to do with mental health. And we got these certain aspects of our society where we don't detach him. So if in your heart, God is not in those decisions, God is not a part of 
what you're doing. You, you're not trusting me and relying on him in whatever it is that you, you're doing and seeking that. Then I have to question that. Uh, you should question that yourself. Because I said that was the summation of Asa. He went all these years going through position and, and didn't seek the Lord of God at all. And so God wasn't in this whole process whatsoever. He had a system and a way of doing things that did not include God. And anything in our life that is any system that we have, education, like I said, our marriage, our, the way we raise our kids, the way we work our jobs, if God is not included in, in those, in our worldview, our understanding of those things whatsoever, then we need to question those things. If that makes sense. Your daddy gonna get you more details. This is third Wednesday. Is it healing Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> I just have a quick question. You can explain it to me. I have purchased um, sage. They say burning sage. And then what I, from the culture that I come, we burn incense. Is there like, you can, it, okay. can I, is, this, is this okay to do? Because I'm afraid to do it because I'm not sure. The burning of incense, there's nothing inherently evil about it. So it depends on the, the, the reason and, and the why that you do it. Because even in the Old Testament tabernacle, God had incense burning perpetually. That was a part of the sacrifice that they made. And in the Old Testament, we see that as a picture of the prayers of the saints. So the burning of incense, is there's nothing inherently evil about it. But in certain cultures and in certain ethnicities i like to play with that word for some reason but in certain cultures there's meaning attached to them and if we absorb those meanings or if we're conscious of those meanings and our expressions of doing those things then those are the things we have to, to check so if we think by burning certain instances that we're keeping certain spirits away from our home are we keeping bad luck away from us or any other those eccentric things that god is supposed to be the one to do then we got a problem but if you just like the smell of it even if you learn and you educated yourself and you see that it has antimicrobial properties that can help clean and purify your home and you want to keep your house clean and you, you don't like dust mites and all that stuff, there's nothing technically wrong with that. You're just using the stuff that God made the way that God made it. But if you're doing it, if you're trying to get high and feel a little good out of work a little bit, like we, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> you got a little hemp burning on that thing. Relax yourself out Okay, now we need, we might need to have a conversation. <laughs> but if you just like the smell of it, you just like the way it makes your home smell, or you understand the science behind it, and you like the, the, the things that it can do for your health and, and the health of the, the air that you breathe, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I have to talk to them people. Because me myself personally going into a prayer room and they're doing that I question it because you're connecting this with the worship of God and that's something I need to understand why you're doing it and most times when you're in those prayer circles or in those prayer rooms they're being informed by something that's anti-God even whether even it's just the Catholic traditions which they stole from other traditions that has to do with ancestral spirits and all that other type of stuff that God ain't down with. And, and like I said, a lot of these deep prayer rooms, they're trying to got this Kabbalah Jewish thing that they got going on that connected with this mystical Jewish religion that they're trying to get all this other type of stuff and creating an atmosphere. Nah, God ain't down with that. And even trying to recreate the conditions of the tabernacle 
Now, Christ is our tabernacle. We rest and we worship in him. We don't got to recreate, restore the, the, the tabernacle of David. No, we ain't doing none of that stuff. So in those settings, I question it. You understanding what I'm saying? So, now, if you just burn because you like the way it smells, if you understand the science of it and it's cool, that's fine. But if I think this is going to make my prayer stronger or just create an atmosphere for God, now nah, I'm, I'm crossing some bounds. God ain't telling me to do none of that stuff. More as a matter of fact, he told me not to, not to worship him the way that the heathen do. Go ahead. Um, are we obligated to do like, um, maybe this sounds crazy. Go ahead. No, um, I don't. Burnt off, sacrificing, burnt offering? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. We're not obligated to do sacrifice and burnt offerings, and we we heading towards that way. And the reason is, is because God has done it on our behalf. Christ was our sacrifice. The New Testament refers to him as our Passover lamb. So Christ is the sacrifice. And even, I did a message on this some time back, when it talks about sacrifice. In the New Testament, it talks about our prayer and our praise being a our worship, our sacrifice unto God. Even in the Old Testament, it said, let us work, offer the calves of our lips. And so there, there's a transition that takes place where our lives are sacrificed to God. And that's the sacrifice that we offer, our praise, our lives, and all that stuff. But we're not obligated to, to, to slaughter cows and slaughter lambs and all those different stuff. And one reason just you have in the back of your mind when we get deeper that we know we're not obligated to because all those things were connected to the temple. In 70 AD, approximately like 40 years after the time of Christ, the temple was destroyed. There is no more temple. So if God wanted us to continue to make these sacrifices in almost 2,000 years, I think he would have put one back up somewhere. But he has not because Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is our temple. Christ is our place of worship. Any other questions? That's it. They all yours.